The next author we're going to be covering tonight was also a scientist and very much involved in research in his personal life. Jagadish Chandra Bose was born on November 30th, 1858, and died on November 23rd, 1937, and was born in modern-day Bangladesh, which was then a part of the British Empire. His father served in the British India government as a deputy magistrate of Bharatpur. His initial education was in a Bengali school founded by his father, and his father felt that it was very important that he learnt Bengali language and customs before learning English and attending an English school. After completing his Bengali education, he went to St. Xavier's College in Calcutta in 1869, a school which had an emphasis on scientific education. And in 1879, he received his B.A., from the Physical Science Group of Calcutta University. He briefly studied medicine in London, but left after a year for health reasons, and enrolled in Christ College at Cambridge in 1882 to study natural science, receiving a BA from there in 1884, as well as a BS from the University of London in the same year. In 1885, he went back to Calcutta and joined the faculty of the Presidency College there, despite much resistance from the administration, which was completely based on racist grounds. Basically, they only wanted white people on the faculty, and they didn't want anybody who was Indian to serve with the white people, essentially. And he was only accepted to the faculty through the personal intervention of Lord Ripon, who was Viceroy of India at the time. Despite the fact that he was very begrudgingly let on the faculty, he was given almost no funding to conduct his research. So he was given a rather poor position in a place where he wasn't really able to properly conduct what he was hired to do. Despite this, he was very inspired by a lecture that Oliver Lodge gave on Hertzian waves. And by early 1895, he had publicly demonstrated a remote ignition of gunpowder, and the ringing of a bell using radio waves. He developed an early coherer, or a radio signal detector, which was a clear improvement over early designs. However, he neglected to patent his work, as communication technologies wasn't something that was interesting to him. And he was somebody who was much more interested in researching the theoretical aspects of the phenomenon for the theoretical aspects himself, rather than building something practical out of it. As a result, the practical end of things were developed by others. We do go a bit into the history of radio in episode 5, but Bose is considered to be the true inventor of radio by India. And even though he did develop a very clear improvement in coherer technology, he devoted the rest of his life not to pursuing any commercial or practical element of the technology, but rather decided to use it in other ways. His radio work and development of the Coherer was internationally recognized and pretty much cited and used by everybody else who worked in the field of radio after that point. And it's pretty much taken as a given that if he had decided to patent his technology and pursue it in a commercial way, he would have shut out everybody else, including Marconi, 
and Lodge and Stone and the other people working there, but just didn't have that financial ambition. Despite this fact, he... I wish that stuff played into this story that we're about to read. Yeah. I really wish it did. Yeah. (laughs) It it really is. that is so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But he impressed Lord Kelvin so much that Kelvin was really dismayed at the poor state of Bose's laboratory and funding and personally campaigned for it to be funded by the Crown. And this eventually turned into the Bose Institute which opened in 1917 after Bose had formally retired from the university, but he served as a director of it. And the Institute is still active to this day. Most of Bose's later career research was on the biological side of things, investigating things like biophysics and how plants function on a micro level, that kind of thing, more than anything pertaining to his radio research. But His radio research is certainly what he's most known for in the present day. But aside from this, he also wrote a little bit of fiction. And he's a very, very small subset of a group of Indian authors who wrote science fiction-adjacent stories around the turn of the century. We covered Sultana's Dream in episode 10 that we did. That was written in English initially. This story was written in Bengali. And from what I can tell, there were a number of other Bengali language stories written around this time, as well as stories written in Hindi and Tamil and other Indian languages that are untranslated in English. This particular story was translated into English in 2013 by Bharatsava Chattopadhyay. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, but it's freely available online and was done for his dissertation, and it has extensive footnotes and commentary. The story was initially written in 1896 and was the winner of a fiction competition that was promoted by Kuntaline, a popular hair oil at the time. Yeah, this was a very interesting first example that I know of, of product-sponsored Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, very sponsored content. I mean, we're going to run a competition to see who can have the best story to promote our product. (laughs) What better way to advertise and have somebody else do it for you? Yeah. And the only pay is you have to give out a prize. Sounds pretty good. It sounds good, and it does remind me of things that people do nowadays, but not just in terms of a product thing, but... Like writing experiments or exercises where you're like, write a story involving this thing. And then you pull like random things out of the dictionary and and you go, okay. There is somebody I've been following on YouTube lately and had some conversations with. And it's a really cool guy. And we talked about this before and he does this on his channel sometimes where he has those kind of literary exercises. And he invites people to participate in where they will come up with a few key words and concepts and you just have to incorporate that into the story somehow yeah and i feel like some things too like the early really early stories of angela carter for example are sort of written along these lines too not again not necessarily with a corporate product in mind at all but some kind of random thing that just has to be incorporated into a fictional context right yeah yeah no it's definitely an interesting exercise but yeah the story was initially written in 1896 and he revised it later in 1921. The major difference is that the 1921 version 
is entirely written in Bengali, whereas the 1896 version had several phrases and passages in English, namely for the science explanation parts. So that seemed weird to me that he decided to revisit this. Yeah. Yeah. So long afterwards. Yeah, I, I was saying to you earlier, uh, you know, when we were talking offline, that I get the feeling that he liked to read this story to his grandkids or something like that. That might be it's, a reason. Yeah. yeah. This is a pretty light. Yeah. Story. Like, yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. It, it's comic in tone, and it's it's definitely trying to get the reader to to laugh and not think too much. Yeah. But the story opens up with a report from a Calcutta newspaper that a cyclone is imminent in the Bay of Bengal. And the storm is growing in intensity, and there's widespread fears that it's going to be catastrophic and just rip through where everybody's living and cause havoc everywhere. But at the last minute, the cyclone just veers off in its unknown direction, and the newspapers are totally confused as to why this happened. And there's huge public debate on, well, what do these scientists actually know, you know? And if the scientists don't know anything, then why should we have to pay taxes to this totally unreliable <laughs> meteorological department. Uh, yeah. And it puts the government in this really tricky situation because it just purchased a whole lot of expensive weather equipment. They proposed to the local university that they're going to deliver a lecture on the barometric pressures affecting the human system. And the university reluctantly agrees. And they cite the following pressures that can affect the human system, which include air, malaria, patent medicines, university, Income tax, municipal tax, all measured in pounds per square inch. <laughs> Great. And since the pressure is so high from all of these, the chair from the university says that maybe it'd be better to demonstrate it at Shimla in the mountains where the pressure is lighter. So the government remains silent on this and lets the crisis pass. Though the issue of the cyclone is still unresolved, and there's some debate on the nature of the cyclone. Some think it's because of the gravitational pull from a comet. Another English professor is pontificating on the Earth's gravity. The narrator says that only he knows what happened. A few years prior, he was ill for about a month, almost to the point of death. And he decides to travel to Ceylon, a modern-day Sri Lanka, on the advice of a doctor. The doctor tells him he needs to go on a sea voyage for his health. The illness he was experiencing had taken a toll on his hair, and his daughter asked him what an island is. And then immediately interjects and says the remaining hairs on his bald head are islands. And his daughter gives him a bottle of Kuntal Keshari, which is our product placement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an oil developed by an Englishman, which apparently regrew a lion's mane. So they set up for sale when the cyclone is approaching, just out of coincidence. And the narrator remembers he has his bottle of oil in his pocket, which he decides to throw directly into the cyclone spreading oil over the water and thus dispelling the path of the cycle. And that's basically the end of the story. Yep. So oil and water can be good in certain circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> this is our message. Right. It's, I mean, it's a good thing that it was just this little bottle of oil that helped, like, affect the cyclone. And they didn't have to do, like, some massive disgusting oil spill that destroyed <laughs> yeah. all the surrounding animal life yeah. and marine life. No, he, he, he doesn't even factor that in at all. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wish I liked this more, but it was very slight. I don't really feel that much from it. No, it's silly. The hair tonic thing was kind of silly. Yeah, and, and it is very corporate product placement. The hair oil saves the day once again, you know? <laughs> yeah, it could be in a commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably was. Yeah, yeah, right. 
So, I mean, I don't know. Bose, like Bose himself, seems quite interesting, and the whole radio pioneer angle is great. Yeah. And I would have... Yeah, I mean, the the, the story is quite slight, and uh, I wish that... I wish that it was kind of about something else. Like, he just seems like an interesting person. Yeah. Maybe he just wanted to tell the story to his grandkids, like you said, but I... I... No, I mean, it, it shows a very... I guess lighthearted side to what is otherwise, I guess a, I don't know. I mean, some of these scientific and engineering individuals, like all the pictures of him, he looks very uh, almost dour and like <laughs> yeah. austere in, in, in the way that and they don't he have to be like himself. That. Right. And right. Yeah. He, he's clearly having a good time. He's, he's having a laugh with himself and the reader. And I, he knows the whole thing is silly. And I think that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do wish he did more with it. And I do wish he wrote more fiction because I think he does have a good talent for humor and he, he knows yeah. how to poke fun at things. I, I wasn't expecting the level of social commentary, even though it wasn't really that deep or profound. It still got a laugh out of me. And I, yeah. I appreciate authors who can do that. There are certainly certain elements like the talk about the taxes and the sort of slight jabs towards yeah. imperialism and stuff like that that were present in the story and they definitely made it better. I think that those are the, the kind of things that I suppose would make this worth reading. There's really not a lot there, but no, those things are, are cool when they appear. Yeah. It's also quite short. So yeah, that's yeah, it's not too. painful to read. Yeah. And I think this, that's, that's one of the reasons I love short fiction because you don't really have to invest so much time and effort into reading the stuff. And I mean, like, I'm trying to sort of find a doorway into modern epic fantasy series at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I just haven't. It's something I haven't done. The Jack Vance Dying Earth series or like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Those kind of things are like as far as I'll go. I mean, something like uh, Song of Ice and Fire and all that other stuff is not. It's sort of on my radar, but it just seems like so much. Yeah. Or maybe right. not that much return. And I just yeah. kind of think like. One of the series that I was kind of wanting to start was the Malazan series. And people say the first book's not that great. It gets better after the first book. But like the first book is 1,200 pages long. Yeah, and you right. need to read that. Like that's a lot. So yeah. It'll get better next time. Like Yeah. I mean, for A Song yeah. of Ice and Fire, I really loved books one through three. And I think they provide a complete character arc for pretty much everybody. So you could kind that's of cool. stop there. Yeah. You can finish yeah. after that one. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, books four and five, you know, not not so hot. And I mean, the show right. famously Fair went enough. off the rails and nobody wants to think about that. <laughs> Talk about the last season, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, the short stories are often a good way to get introduced to an author. Yes. And it's enough to tempt you to want to read more if you like what yeah, you're I agree. seeing. Yeah. And I think that these short story episodes are going to be a regular uh, occurrence on Chrononauts, mm-hmm. like forever. And I think that some of the most exciting stuff in genre fiction is in the short form. And sometimes because people like Bose were not really known as fiction writers, something like a short story is within their purview and within their ability to do and just knock off. And sometimes, yeah, it's knocked off for a lark and a joke. And that's the whole reason why it's done. And it's just a short story for people to enjoy or not as they choose. And it's no skin off his teeth if you don't. So we're not talking about thousand page novels here. We're talking about twelve pages of fiction. 
Yeah. So that. it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yep. If that. It's not going to hurt you. It's fun. And this story was kind of fun. But it, it, it again, it, it was slight. I appreciated the social commentary too. And I did think the whole weather, weird weather control kind of aspect seems to have been a phenomenon also in some 20th century oh, science absolutely. fiction, speculative yeah. fiction. Yeah. So here we have an early example of that. It's not done through machines. It's done through hair tonic. <laughs> but why not? Yeah, right? why not? I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> not really much more to say about it. Nope. So I think with that, we'll be moving on to the next one. Yes, which is Where the Air Quivered. That's right. By L.T. Mead and Robert Eustace. Published in the Strand Magazine. 